what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. Chris, it's been a long time. How are you doing? You know... It's good to see you. I'm doing fine. It's good to be seen. Right. I feel like it wasn't 2016 when we were last here, but it almost it feels that like way. it. It's been yeah. a while. It we did been. have a little bit of a gap. You know, I'm, I, and I'm, I can't even give any more excuses for our gaps. I mean, every time we have a little bit of a gap in our recording schedule, we could say it's work, we could say it's family, we could say it's vacations, you know. I'm sure it's kind of all of the above. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's D, all of the above. All of the above. So, yeah. so what we're going to do today to kind of make up for not being on the air for you know, the, next, the last few weeks is uh, we are going to cram uh, maybe a little more reviews in than normal. We've actually got three films to discuss in this, this week's episode. Uh, we are going to be discussing three films that, interestingly enough, Chris, I noticed this, three single, like, director-slash-writer individuals. So hmm. all three of the films we're going to talk about written and directed by the same. Look at individual. you doing your homework. And they're all three, <laughs> I guess in a different way, kind of uh, fairly well-established director writers at this point as well. So first we're going to be discussing the film guardians of the galaxy volume two by writer director, Mr. James Gunn. Uh, that's going to be a one-sided review as you Chris have not seen this film yet. So True. I'm going to speak somewhat cryptically about parts of the film <laughs> But I think I can give you a fair assessment of, of where the, the film falls. Okay. Uh, after that, we'll be moving on to the winner of last year's Oscars, the ceremony that was held in February, uh, winner of Best Foreign Picture, which was The Salesman, by writer-director Asghar Farhadi. Uh, he of the fame of A Separation, which also won Best Picture for Best Foreign Picture uh, a few years ago. But he actually um, came and accepted that Oscar, I think. That's correct. <laughs> as opposed to this as one. As opposed to this year, yes. Got you. Then we're going to take a little break. Then we'll follow up with our third review, which will be by writer-director Jim Jarmusch, uh, the film Patterson, starring Adam Driver. Uh, so that's our three reviews. Then we'll move on to a couple of movie news items to discuss and we'll finish out the show, as always, with our recommendations, a film that each Chris and I have picked out that we want to recommend that you take some time to check out if you're looking for something to watch maybe this weekend or just when you have some downtime. Sound like a good plan? Yeah. It's so a lot good. of catch up to do. It and is. And we got to get back in the flow of things. I'm a little rusty. You know, <laughs> I feel like I'm a little out of sorts. It's like, what is this microphone? How do I do this podcast thing? I'm sure in a few minutes it'll, it will get back into the flow of things, much like... James Gunn getting back in the flow of things after ah. the success of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Now he's back at it with Volume 2. The fate of the universe lies on your shoulders. Now, whatever you do, don't push this button. Does anybody have any tape out there? I want to put some tape over the death button. Nobody has any tape. Not a single person has tape. You have an atomic bomb in your bag. If anybody's going to have tape, it's you. I have to do everything. You are wasting a lot of time. That's a really bad sign. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. It's Here we are in May. 
Mm-hmm. It is already the summer blockbuster season. This is kind of the ones that's kind of hitting the ground and saying, okay, we're starting the summer blockbuster season right now. I think this one technically officially kicks it off. Kicks it off. Yes. This one, you know, it's made some good money. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Correct. What I'm wondering from you, Alan, is you having seen it, and this won't even spoil anything, but I think it's a fair question. With sequels, a lot of times what you get is they find something in the first one that worked and then they amp it up sometimes to the annoyance of the viewer. And that's what the sequel is. Mm-hmm. And often that's the narrative says, Oh, therefore sequel, not as good as the original. Mm-hmm. Um, taking that and narrowing that focus down a little bit. My first question for you is Groot, Good in the first one. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about this franchise before it started. Like I hadn't yes. read the comic books. Thought Groot was funny. Liked it. You liked adult Groot? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I am concerned, not having seen the movie, but having seen the trailers, how could you not? Going into this movie, they've taken Groot, which people found adorable in the first movie, and funny. And they showed baby Groot at the end of the he first movie. He had a movie. cameo during the credit sequence in the first How movie. did they ruin Did they ruin Groot in this movie? <laughs> so you want me to focus just the whole review yes, on Groot? This is, is, what this you want is me a to Groot-centric... Okay. Let's just focus on but I, Groot. But I want your review to be something more than just saying Groot over Groot. and over and over I again. Groot. It's, yes. I am Groot. I am what Groot. You have to Sorry, say. yes. Yeah. Um, all right. So let me let me let me go on this idea of sequel. I will get to Groot in a moment. Okay. Um, uh, let me go on this whole idea of sequels, and I'm gonna I'm gonna not go quite as as limited as you did with with Groot. Sure. I'm gonna broaden it out a little bit to talk about these Marvel movies and their sequels. Okay. Okay. Because they've had quite a few now. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> Iron Man has had two sequels. Captain America has had two sequels. Who else? Thor's getting ready to Thor has it. had a sequel and is going to be having another sequel. This summer. Um, yeah. That's right. And now Guardians of the Galaxy has its sequel. Um, I will say, blanket, before I talk about this film, um, I generally think that the Marvel movies, when they do sequels, it's it's diminishing returns. I as, generally, as can be the case with many sequels in with general. most, but I generally can say the originals of all the Marvel movies have been my favorites of the Marvel movies. I like the original Iron Man. Didn't care as much for the two sequels. I like the original Captain America. I liked its sequels, but I still like the original Captain America the best of all of them. Guardians of the Galaxy. I really, really like the first one. So does this break the tradition of the sequel dropping off? No, it's... It is a drop down on this one for number two. What what makes the drop off? I, I, I'm glad you asked because <laughs> my <laughs> notes are telling me what to say. Oh, awesome. um, uh, I'll just let me just go into the dislikes first. Okay, okay? the reasons why I think there's a drop off. Baby and, Groot, uh, a little bit. Um, but here's the deal: Baby Groot is fine in the whole movie. He's cute. He has a couple. There's one scene in particular during a kind of a breakout scene uh, out of a prison that I think is really, really funny for him. The thing is, Chris, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this. You're going to watch the opening credits of this film, which I love the opening credits in the first movie. It's uh, Chris Pratt on a desolate planet looking for something, putting on his Walkman and doing the dance. Yes. It's beautiful. I think it's Indiana Jones. Wonderful. It's a wonderful opening credit sequence. The credit sequence for this one is also somebody dancing for an entire song to Mr. Blue Sky by ELO. I like the song. Well, it's a great song, but it's Baby Groot dancing for a really long time. (laughs) And I think about halfway through that song, it started off. I'm like, oh, this is where they're going to go. This will be fun. And then it goes on 
for a really long time. Wow. And I'm like, okay, I'm kind of done with baby Groot now. I've got my baby Groot four minutes. According done. to IMDb, he does say I am Groot 13 times in the film. No, no. After you get past the opening credits, I think he's great. I okay. think he's good. It's just that opening credits is like they're milking it to like, look, we've got baby Groot and he's going to dance for three and a half minutes Shh. to a song, you know, and it was cool the way it was framed. And I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, I'm spoiling the credits. I don't feel like I'm spoiling actually, the I'm glad you, you are because you're probably going to enjoy it now. I will enjoy it more yeah. than I would have. Cause yeah. What I love about the, the opening credits and again, I'm, Focusing on opening credits, but I think that was my favorite part of the first movie. I want to kind of explain how they did it on this one. Okay. The fun part about it is there's an entire action scene going on in the background oh. the whole time while Baby Groot is dancing. Hmm. We're on Baby Groot, but the whole time you're seeing just a massive fight going on in the background, <laughs> which is kind of funny. That is funny. That's why I think the whole opening credits was really cool until they just kind of stretched it really long. So. I think, you know, if you don't like Baby Groot, you're probably going to be really annoyed after the opening credits. That being said, um, the reason I think this movie drops for me is we're missing what I thought was fun about the first movie and that the first movie we're getting to know these characters and we're learning how they're coming together, which I thought was really fun in the first movie. Second movie, they're together. They know each other. They banter. It's funny. Great dialogue. Great uh, comedic timing between the characters. But it's just it's feeling a little routine at this point in the second movie. Hmm. Um, okay. But really, the main reason I say the second movie dropped for me, it has to do with the last 20 minutes of the film. Hmm. This movie, unfortunately, falls into the same trap that many big action superhero movies does, where that last 20 minutes is kind of a big, incoherent mess. It's hmm. just over-the-top action, over-the-top CGI you don't feel like anybody's really in any danger because everything's this big fabricated world they're fighting in. And it's just a lot of characters, a lot of people all over the place. Um, It was just mind numbing for that Mm -hmm. last 20 minutes. And then the last thing I'll say, and there will be no spoilers with this. I'm going (laughs) to evade this. Okay. There's also a big problem with, for me with the ending in that it relies on there being a big emotional moment. Hmm. With a particular character that I don't feel like is warned is is earned in the movie. A character is a character disappears. I'll just leave it at that. And it's a very emotional scene for all the characters in the movie. Although at no point during the movie did we ever get the impression that these people would be disemotional about this character. But it kind of felt like it was meant to we got to have a big emotional finale and this is the way we're going to do it. And we're going to play a a really kind of obscure cat Stevens song in the background. It's going to be very emotional. I felt like it was just really pushing too hard to make it emotional for us. Hmm. Now that's that's the I don't want to ruin anything, even though I haven't seen the movie, Yeah, but I think I'm picking up what you're putting down and yeah, I don't think I'm going to like this movie very much. (laughs) Now that being said, okay, I've already said these are, those are the two big dislikes. Okay. Um, one is I just think that, that, and they both have to do with the ending. I mean, truly. Okay. I thought this movie was awesome until the last 20, 30 minutes. Because you forgave the opening. I forgave the opening pretty quick. Okay. I was really loving the movie. And the last 20, 30 minutes, I still like this movie. I'm going to go on a record. I thought this was a fun movie. Uh, it was a great two hours in a movie theater compared to a lot of other stuff I've seen that big action CGI movies. This is world better than most movies, but it is a drop from the first movie. So I'm just kind of using it as a comparison point. Um, The things I liked about it, 
is a, it's just fun. It's just a fun movie. And the characters still work. The characters are still very engaging. Uh, you know their personalities by now, so now it's just watching them play off each other and interact with each other, and it's great. Um, I think the thing this movie really got right, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it, hmm. I think they finally figured out how to make some interesting villains. And I'm not going to say anything about who the villain is in this movie. Groot. <laughs> Baby Groot becomes Baby the Groot villain. Yeah. the big villain. Um, awesome. I'll just say that they introduced some interesting characters. One, specifically, Kurt Russell, plays Ego. And his, his plot line having to do with whether or not he is Peter Quill's father. And that's, uh, that's okay. the big plot line. It starts very early on in the film. Right. It is a big discussion in the whole film, whether or not he's Peter Quill's father, Star-Lord's father, and then really what he wants from the, the Guardians of the Galaxy is a kind of a mystery. Some could say it's a little predictable, but I still think it was handled pretty well. Hmm. And I think Kurt Russell is just really good. He's an interesting character. His background, his reason for being in the story is interesting. Hmm. It's a little different slant okay, on now, things. Now you're, now you're saving the movie a little okay. bit for me, even though I, think, I haven't seen it. <laughs> um, so I think it, Kurt Russell's ego character was a very interesting premise. And I'll leave it at that. Um, hmm. And then I, and I still think Rocket Raccoon, Drax, I think are awesome characters. And they're really, really well realized as characters in the film. So I had a really good time with the movie. My kids had a really good time with the movie. But I can walk away from the theater saying... Wasn't as good as the first one, but compared to even all the other Marvel movies, this is going to be in the top portion of my favorite Marvel movies. Well, and it, you know, my fear going into a sequel is, as I in the setup, is that they draw anything that was slightly popular about the first one. They just hit the same notes over and over again. And but it sounds like, here. other than the opening, maybe playing a little too heavily off Baby Groot in the opening. But after that, they're kind of done with it. And then the rest of the movie yeah. is kind of you yeah. know, is kind um, of good. There's a couple moments where they're obviously hitting the beats. They know that the, the audience wants to see. But I, I think the whole Kurt Russell storyline right. was really interesting. Now, there are other subplots that they bring in that I think are kind of just watering down the film and maybe not as interesting. Hmm. There's a whole subplot with Gamora played by... Um, Saldana? Yeah, Zoe Saldana and her sister that... I didn't think it was really critical to the film at all. Probably would have been a lot leaner to not have it there. Hmm. There's another subplot with, um, is it Yondu, the blue guy with the Mohawk thing? The whistling dude. Uh, Yeah, that uh, and his whole group of the the group he's a part of. We find out that he actually has a boss that he reports to, and that boss is played by somebody that, a very big name actor that I won't reveal. And uh, that was also a little muddied, and I didn't really understand where they were going. So there was a lot of these subplots well, that just didn't work. And I remember, you know. and to harken back to our first review of the first film, we both liked it. Yeah. But you having been familiar with the source material a little bit. I wasn't really, though. No, you weren't. Not really. But I remember I, I kind of bordered on I liked it, but I was kind of thinking, felt like it was a little too confusing for me. Yeah, um, which I mean, you were like, oh, but it didn't, you know, you didn't feel that way. And the way you're describing this one, it sounds like I'm going to run into the same problem because it sounds like they're it's getting muddied again. Because that was the I loved the characters in the first movie. This movie is the, muddy. The, it's muddy. Huh. And there's like, like I said, there's the two subplots that are alongside the main plot that I think 
did not need to be there at all. I think they could have made a perfectly great film with just this main hmm. storyline, the Kurt Russell storyline. Right. Um, I thought the Kurt Russell storyline was fascinating and an interesting character study in family dynamics and all too. Hmm. But it did get muddied with other stuff going on. Um, and then, of course, that la- the ending. Yeah, you're probably going to come out of the ending just frustrated. I, that's my guess. Because <laughs> I kind of okay. did. And I'm, 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 I feel like I'm a little more tolerant of maybe just big bombastic spectacle for, for spectacle's sake. But um, it, was, it was slightly disappointing. But I'm not going to tell anybody that they shouldn't go see it. Because I'm actually kind of want to go see it again. Just because oh, it's, it's fun. Okay. Well, that's it's, a good review. It's just a fun movie. And especially sure. when we get into our next review... It's mm-hmm. just nice to have a fun movie <laughs> to see every once in a while uh, that doesn't make you feel really crappy as you leave the theater. So, you know, right. this movie is a fun movie, and I uh, I do recommend it. I just say go in with some diminished expectations compared to the first film. And uh, I do feel like it missed a few a few points where it really could have been a, a solid good film. Okay. Um, so that's Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, I was on record saying to a friend of mine that I thought the first Guardians of the Galaxy was probably the closest film, personally to me, that I had just an enjoyment of a sci-fi film since the original Star Wars movie. Interesting. And that the characters just seemed to enjoy being around each other. I wanted to follow the characters. Huh. I, I liked the idea of it being an adventure-based series with a, a motley crew of characters in space with weird planets and weird, you know, it had a very original Star Wars vibe to me. And I really walked out of the theater saying, okay, if they can keep building on this, this could be the next, to me, Star Wars franchise. This movie tells me, number two shows me, and uh, it's not quite destined for that type of you know, stat, stature in, in film history. But it's still a very fun film that I enjoyed quite a bit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Going to go down the rabbit hole for... Mm-hmm. I don't know, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. You should probably time it because we could go a lot longer. Well, timer's going. Not going to be in the news. We, I like won't hit this in the news because okay. I could have brought it up there. Okay. It, the realization occurred to me since you mentioned science fiction you, and your hopes for Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we will hopefully review Alien Covenant. I'm sure we will. This yeah. is where this discussion is going. Yes, yes. I'm going to mention Prometheus. Here's the thing. <laughs> Chris is talking about Prometheus. Where, and what? <laughs> the, the realization occurred to me why I liked Prometheus so much. It was to me how you're saying Guardians of the Galaxy was. And how like, you're like, oh, wow, this could really be the next Star Wars for me personally. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm so excited for Alien Covenant because I really liked Prometheus and it gave me the excitement that I had watching the original Star Wars films. I still like okay. the new ones, but I can't get as excited because they're not made for me anymore. Star yeah, Wars sure. movies are made for younger kids mm-hmm. and teenagers. They're not really made for adults. Mm-hmm. So that's what Prometheus is to me is Star Wars for adults. Whereas yeah. like Grid, Guardians is not trying to go for that demographic. But I'm just excited. Instead of having another Star Wars franchise to follow, I'm excited that I have a Star Wars for adults. Yeah, so, I could see that. And to me, Guardians of the Galaxy was kind of saying, all right, we're still going to be, you know, we can still cater to kids because, I mean, the, you know, it's a kid-friendly movie. But there's movie. some serious family dynamics. But there are some serious, on. especially in the the Kurt Russell storyline. I think okay. there's some very interesting family dynamics. And uh, and some of the humor is definitely more more blue humor than you would get in a Star Wars movie. Right. Gotcha. So I think it, it it's a nice in-between. It's a perfect film type for mm-hmm. me and my two boys at home who you. are age... 
10 and 15. It's like, yeah. it's perfect. Gotcha. We don't go to any more little kitty films anymore, <laughs> but we need a film series that all of us can kind of enjoy and appreciate. And to me, this is the one art the three of us can say, yep, this is it. My 15 year old had been excited about this film for a while. My 10 year old had been excited. I've been excited about this film. Okay. So we came out and we had a good time with it, okay. you know, um, but I, I, I don't think it's going to be the, I, I don't think it's going to be the Star Wars of our generation as far as a cultural touch point that I thought maybe it had the chance to be with the first movie starting off. But okay. um, still a fun time, though. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. So that is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Chris, you will have to chime in at some point once you have a chance to see it and let me know if you buy what I'm cooking or completely disagree with what I'm saying. I appreciate the lowered expectations though. Yeah. Just go in just go in and have fun. <laughs> okay. It'll be fine, but don't expect it to, to top the first one and the things you didn't like about the first one. You're probably going to get more of that in this one too. So, Good to be forewarned. Yes. Okay. So let's move on to another review. And this is a film. It's a little bit of an older film, but we did just have recently have a chance to catch up uh, with it in a movie theater environment just this week, actually, it was the winner of the Best Foreign Picture Oscar Award uh, for this year's Oscars that was held a couple months ago in February. The film is The Salesman. Chris, the, the, the summary line for the salesman goes as follows. Uh, while both participating in a production of Death of a Salesman, the play, a teacher's wife is assaulted in her new home, which leaves him determined to find the perpetrator over his wife's traumatic, traumatized object, objections. Uh, which... Reading that, yeah, that sums up the plot of the film. This film won Best Foreign Picture at this year's Oscars. And the thing I noticed the most that I want to kind of ask you is, I, I called this last night during our discussion, a very, a very slow burn, slow build film. It is two hours long. I dare say that the actual plot, if you want to call it a plot, really doesn't kick in until almost halfway through the film. So there's a lot of buildup. There's a lot of setting the, the table. There's a lot of building the environment to build where we're going. So my question to you is, in the end, of, at the end of the film, you walk away from it, was this style of filmmaking, this building up, this, this slow method, 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 method uh, I'm, turning, I'm stumbling my words here, the slow buildup of this film, sure. was it worth the ultimate resolution of the film? And then, even bigger than that, do you feel this film even justified its own existence? And that's a bigger Whoa. question, but <laughs> if you really boiled it down, the film is about a fairly small, compared to other Hollywood standards, a small incident, a small story that is building itself up because of the characters' reactions and everything else. So I kind of ask the same question about the film. Is the film a... Bigger film over a smaller, a smaller issue. And, and, and did the film at the end of the day kind of justify its own reason for being there? You know, because hmm. I could see some people walking out of this film saying, I don't understand 
the, I don't really understand the overall intent of what this film's here for. Why it's here? Why was it made? Well, so that's my question to you: Is, is was the buildup worth worth it by the resolution, and did the film kind of justify its own reason for being here? I'm going to have my cake and eat it too. Okay, but I. By eating it, you've already had your cakes, right? So I don't understand that whole expression. Well, but maybe they say Anyways, you're having your cake means somebody's given it to given you. Given it to you. You just haven't eaten it. Yeah, I guess. Being given a cake is a good thing, but eating <laughs> it is the next is the next good the next thing. Best thing. Okay. Anyway, sorry. So here's Go the ahead. thing. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really torn on this film, and I'm still processing it. But the fact we did that just I, see it last night. We did, mm-hmm. but you know, at least we didn't come in last night and review it. If we had, I'd be in a I'd be in a bad place. Um, mm-hmm. I think this, I am glad this film does exist. I think the end of the film and how it all ties together does justify existing. I'm okay. glad it exists. Having said that, um, for my particular sensibilities, I don't always, you know, I, I hope we would have to go back and have our intern listen to our other podcasts whether or not I, I do rail against films that are too long, but it's not that I mind a slow burn. I think that still can pay off. Right. Um, for me personally in this film, it was like two hours and four minutes. The first hour and a half to me was such a slow burn that I found myself getting bored mm-hmm. for lack of, mm-hmm. you know, just putting it out there. I found myself getting bored. However, that last 30 minutes, things really did kind of click and fall into place. And I found myself kind of sitting up and mm-hmm. waking up <laughs> and paying and paying attention. You know, I actually noticed the whole audience that way. Okay. I mean, there was a lot of restlessness oh, the yeah. first hour, but I noticed in that last 20, 30 minutes, everybody seemed to be sitting up a little bit more and leaning into the film a little bit more. So, yeah. So, um, and it doesn't help. You know, when you have a slow burn film, that's one thing for me, not being a native Arabic speaker, a slow burn film that is also subtitled makes it difficult too, because you're spending so much time reading and trying to understand what these people are saying to each other. You can't like really appreciate performances. True. I um, was asked at the end of the film by my dad, he said, well, what'd you think of the performances? I'm like, to be perfectly honest with you, they couldn't have been terrible. Right. Because I would have noticed that. Sure. But I can't really say that they were good because I wasn't really watching them. Well, it's just, <laughs> so. it's a film where you're spending a lot of time mentally, not only processing the dialogue through subtitles, but you're also, your brain is trying to figure out where is this going. So it can be kind of an exhausting experience for that first hour because it's so slow. Although I say it's slow, but there's a lot of dialogue. It's just, oh, yeah. you know, trying to follow along with what's going on, but then realizing that you're not really going forward at a very fast pace. Right. So it's, I can see it being a chore. And I know? think the other thing too, the, the last 30 minutes without, you know, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody because, you know, that's what's really worthwhile. So I really don't want to ruin it <laughs> because yeah. I want you to, if you choose to watch the movie, I want you to stick with it. The parallels that it draws between the character, you know, the guy and his wife and all the stuff that's happening to them and the stuff that happens in the play death of a salesman. Yeah. They're, you know, pure parallels. There's some that are more slight, but very interesting. And just all the different, you know, through lines you can choose to see and what those may mean. What is the director trying to say? What do you think he's trying to say? That becomes really interesting. And, you know, this film I think would be very boring 
to watch. And I think that's what makes this film worth seeing is then having a discussion afterwards. Yeah. Because if I just had watched this movie on my own and then I finished, I think I would have been like, okay, I just don't get it. You know, right. I, I see it. I can tell it's well made, but I, overall I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. And initially as the credits were rolling last night, I felt that way. You felt like you we have it. seen, and we've discussed on the show, three Academy Award nominated for foreign film. We saw The Salesman, we saw A Man Called Uva, oh, yeah. and we saw um, Tony, Tony Erdman. And, you know, each of those films has their merits in their own right, but Salesman won. Mm-hmm. And immediately when the credits rolled last night, I was like, you know what? I am really surprised that this won hmm. for Best Foreign Film. But... Then as the discussion went on and people started linking things and the discussion of the culture of Mm -hmm. Iran, Mm -hmm. then the culture at the time, Death of a Salesman by Arthur Miller, the play was written. Why choose that play to have performed? Like all these these choices that were made, it began to reveal a lot more depth and made me appreciate things that I didn't appreciate, you know, on first viewing. So. To answer your question, you know, I'm glad it was made. I do think it justifies its own existence, um, but it is very difficult to uh, for me to sit through. And although I would like to think that I would gain more on a second viewing, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure I would. And I kind mm-hmm. of, in a way, would rather not know because this film, in a way, made me feel stupid at the end of it. I was like, okay, clearly something's here that I missed. I mean, I got some mm-hmm. of the stuff, and then when the discussion revealed more and more of it, but. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad I saw it once, but I'm, I'm not sure it would reward a second viewing, maybe. Hmm. Um, I, 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 I've I seen it one and a half times. <laughs> okay, fair because enough. Because I saw it one time, and then last night's screening, I saw the opening few, first few minutes, and then I saw like the last 30 minutes. Oh, so you jumped in for the last... Okay. I did. Because I, I kind of wanted to see how everybody was reacting to it in, in the audience. Gotcha. Um, I really, really admire this film. Okay. Um. I share some of the same concerns with it you do and totally understand and, and get where you're coming from on it too. My thing is that I think what I really admired about this film is to take, to take what I, mean, I really call it, call it it's both a Greek tragedy and it's a parable in a way. It's this whole idea of something to me is still just something, one action, one moment, one mishap, mm-hmm. the ripple effect it has and the, the, the situations it creates around it. To take that concept, and, and because Farhadi directed and wrote it, obviously it was very kind of a, a, a project for him that he really wanted to see come to screen. Right. Um, seeing how that how that built over time, uh, I I don't want to say I felt satisfied at the end because it's not a satisfying ending. It's not meant to be a satisfying ending, but I felt justified in saying, okay, this is why I watched this for two hours, mm-hmm. and I get it. And the connection to it, Death of a Salesman, the play that they're putting on within the film, um, it's, it all started to click for me and I got it. And, it. and it was interesting. And, you know, it was not an enjoyable film. It's not like Guardians of the Galaxy where I was just fine to sit there and be, have fun for two hours. This was a chore. It was, <laughs> it was tough to sit through. It was tough to follow. It was tough to know what was going on all the time. But when you get to the end, it's like everything you were trying to figure out early on starts to slowly come into place. Right. It doesn't hit you all like a ton of bricks. It takes a night or so to kind of start realizing where, what that story was doing and what it was telling us. So, um, 
I thought the acting was really good, but I agree with you. It's hard to gauge it because of all the following along with the dialogue. But the times I could, especially in the last 30 minutes last night, I did pay more attention to the actors on screen. And they're really good. So I'll just go ahead and say acting's great. So if I was able to like focus on their faces and stuff, I'd be amazed. That's why I did a lot of the last 30 minutes. I knew what the dialogue was. I'd already seen it just the night before. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I really want to see, I want to see what they're putting on their faces. I want to see, see this. Um, I think the parallels with the death of a salesman play were really interesting, but it kind of had some interesting uh, twists. twists I mean, it's like this, you're basically watching a film where characters are playing characters on a play, but they're also having experiences of distorted versions of those same characters in their real life. Mm -hmm. And that was was really fun. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you though, I thought the coolest thing, I love the opening credits. I thought they were (laughs) gorgeous. Just, it was like lighting, uh, setting up lights in a, uh, on a stage and just lights coming up. You see a beautiful frame of something within the theater and the stage. And then it dims back out again as they're, but they're doing it as they're setting up lights for the shot. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a callback to that in the very, almost next to the last shot of the film when the main character goes to turn lights off inside his apartment. And you get that same effect of here's the same bed that, we saw in the opening for the death of a salesman stage being lit up. And now there's a light on that bed and the light dims out in a very unnatural way. It would not when him, him just flipping off the light, it did it very much like the stage light did. And I thought it was just nice bookends. It's just some really nice visual touches to it. This was not a visually interesting film. That was except yeah. for those opening credits those opening and that closing shot. Put, yeah. Everything else was very much a, it was more of a cinema verite documentary style put you in, in, in with this situation. It wasn't as concerned about framing of shots and the quality of the, the, the shots themselves. So I think, yeah. And because of the, the language barrier for me, it held me at a distance where unfortunately, you know, whereas if I hadn't had that barrier, I probably would have been a little bit more engaged mm-hmm. in some of that opening hour and a half. Right. Because the cinematography you know, wasn't really there. So that didn't well, help. Not, keep and me that's engaged. not, that's not what they're trying to do. No, the and that's not what yeah, they're trying to do. So that, yeah. um, I, I wonder, um, Asghar Farhadi's movie that came before this, that he won the Oscar for, a Separation. Yeah. You know, you would say, looking at those two films, I'm not familiar with his other stuff, but just these two, it's like, I feel like if someone put another Iranian film in front of me, and it was his, and I didn't know that, but I watched it, I feel like I would be able to tell kind of well his his stamp that he puts on, because he seems to be very, because... A separation and the salesman have very similar themes. Oh, that's and yeah, husband great. and wife dynamic and family dynamic mm. and you know and I think I may have even said this in our review of a separation. I'd have to go back and listen to it there again. That's what interns are for. But I kind of call it like a series of unfortunate events. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of well, an adult version of a series of yeah. and that's kind of this one. It's just like. All these things happen. It just keeps getting, you're just like, come on. You know, it's yep. like the story of Job in the Bible. Like all these bad things keep happening. And you just feel like, how can this be possible that they're all meshing and happening in the same way? And I felt like, like you mentioned with salesmen, that happens again. And it's just not a happy feeling, yeah. but it's, it's very well done. It's, that's my one dislike of the film huh. is that I felt like, it just seemed so similar to a separation. It was like a separation with death of a salesman thrown in. Yeah. And okay. that's, and, and, and that's still bothersome to me because, you know, 
it, it just seems like, you know, it's, it's man and woman and they're married or in separation, they're planning on getting separated or about to separate. And they have these series of unfortunate events. It's like that- one little thing happens that kind of gets over distorted and overreacted to. And those reactions cause other actions. It's a very, very similar movie to a separation. That was my one hang up with the film is I just felt like I'm watching. It's almost like somebody did a, a reboot of a separation with a slightly different scenario thrown in hmm. same character, same environment, same location. Just say, let's put in a different situation that these characters deal with. So, and that, that I didn't like that, but I mean, I'm not going to say that that's, that makes the film, I want to look at the film as its own entity. As its sure, own entity, absolutely. it's a great film. Right. If I put it in his body of work, I could say, "Wow, those two just there's just so many similarities that it's even." I'm afraid in a year it's going to be hard for me to distinguish which film was which. Oh wow! You know, I mean, in okay. a way, I could see that. It's like I remember it was a film about a man and a wife, and they had this one really bad thing happen that everybody reacted to. Which film was that? <laughs> you know, hmm. and that that's. Well, but again, if I look at it as a body of work, that's a concern. But I, I'd, I'd rather I want to focus on it as its own standalone entity and as its own. It's a I think it's a really really great film. Well, you know, I, I share similar concerns, but it it makes me even more interested for his next film mm-hmm. because I like Separation, thought it was good, but tough to watch because it's very serious, very you know mm-hmm. kind of depressing. Same thing goes for the salesman, but I feel like he amped Farhadi amped his game up a little bit with the salesman because he kind of added that let's make loose connections to a play within a play or a film within a film. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he kind of amped up his game a little bit. Yeah. So with the next film, I'm wondering like, can we see a continued growth of kind of an interesting, uh, maybe more uh, creative use of storytelling, you know? Right. But then, you know, coming back on that and having both sides of the, or, you know, both sides of the issue, you know, sitting on the fence, I will say he reminds me of like an Iranian Lars von Trier hmm. because he doesn't seem to have sympathy for his characters <laughs> because mm-hmm. they're just, all these bad things keep happening. It just seems kind of very cold and rigid and no hope. Yeah. Um, and that's how, separation and salesman happened and Lars von Trier with his films, you know, it has these people in these situations. You're just like, Oh my goodness. And can seem very, mm-hmm. although I, I think his that. films are very interesting and have yeah. all these, you know, but I, I'm, I am still, and just like, I'm curious for the next Lars von Trier joint. I'm curious to see what Farhadi does. Yeah, next. I am too. I, I, I will say I've, I've really liked both of the films of his I've seen. I never saw the film, the past that he wrote. I don't think he directed it. Okay. Uh, if I, um, no, no, he direct. Uh, nope. Wait a minute. Hold on, director. Uh, IMDb, tell me. Yes, he did direct the past. Okay. The past was the film in between a separation and the salesman, and I never saw that one. Oh, um, I didn't either. I didn't. Really- yeah. So that's actually one we probably need to check out because okay. maybe that will help determine. I think the fact that a separation and then we saw the salesman. There's so many similarities. But had maybe we the past seen would the have past in between? Okay. Yeah. Um, that's one I need to catch up with, but. Um, I'm definitely fascinated with what he's doing and just Iranian cinema in general, I think is doing some really interesting things. Um, so this is a, it was, it was a really good film. Uh, it was a difficult film, but it was yes. a really good film. So, okay. All right. So what we're going to do, that was the salesman. It is online available now, Amazon, iTunes, all the typical places you can rent or buy the films. Uh, and we do, I, I do encourage you to check it out. It sounds like we're both, we struggled with it, but I think ultimately after a little bit more time I've had since seeing it, I've really come to appreciate the film. 
because right. I'll check with you in 24 hours and see if maybe you're feeling the same way. No, so. I like it. I think it's, you know, just be aware of what you're getting into, yeah. which, you know, it's a tough film. Yeah, it's tough. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do our third review, which is the Jim Jarmusch film uh, Patterson. And then we'll go to a couple movie news items and then our recommendations. So you're listening to Foot Candle Films here on the TV, And we'll be right back. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Uh, first half of the show, we did our reviews of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and our uh, review of the film The Salesman. We'll get to our third and final review here in just a moment, but before we do, I just wanted to kind of go over a couple of notes and reminders about some things going on around Foot Candle and some, some events we want to make sure you're aware of. Uh, probably first and foremost is as you hear us talk about every time we get on the microphones, but it's because we're just so darn excited about it. That's right. Is our foot candle film festival coming up September 22nd through 24th, 2017 version. Uh, this is going to be an exciting weekend. Uh, if you have never been to Western North Carolina, more specifically the town of Hickory, this is a great chance to come and visit with us. We would love to have you come join us for the festival weekend. We're going to have three full days of films. Uh, along with an opening night event and reception and a closing ceremony, award ceremony, uh, kind of keeping the format very similar to how we have the first two years, but uh, maybe adding a couple more movie film slots than we did the previous year. Uh, the great thing is everything happens at one screen. I think that's something that really a lot of people appreciate. It's the fact that we don't have people carting all over to multiple screens or having to pick and choose on a schedule which film they're going to go see. All films are in a one location in a linear fashion. So you come out to all the films you can, and you're not going to miss anything by being in that one location. Um, so Chris really excited. I know you've been heading up the screening process and screening committee. We got some good films. You feel like that are maybe uh, going to be working their way into the festival this year, right? Yeah, absolutely. And good. you know, we have some good ones already. We're still looking for more. Absolutely. Um, by the time you hear this, our submission, Normal submission deadline is May 22nd, so hopefully you'll be able to get in before that. But there is also the late submission deadline of June 19th, at which point we'll unfortunately have to cut off submissions. But we're still looking for some good films, so we have some. But, you know, if you'd like to submit yours, please do so. You can do that by going to the Film Festival website, which is footcandlefilmfestival.com. On there, you'll see a link for our page on film freeway, which is where you can go and submit directly and please do so. Yeah, absolutely. We would love to hear, see even more filmmakers represented in the festival. So if you know of someone who has finished a film in the last uh, about year, year and a half timeframe, um, and, uh, is looking to get it out in the festival circuit, we would love to have them. We've gotten some great feedback from filmmakers that have joined us in the past two years about their festival experience with us. And we're hoping to uh, match or exceed that in this third year as well. So footcandlefilmfestival.com is where you can go for information. And uh, that's where also we'll be posting our schedule and the announcement of films in July when those are officially announced to the public. All right. 
So again, you are listening to the show on the mesh.tv. Just a quick reminder there that, you know, if you are, are a podcast listener and looking for some different shows and things to check out, we do recommend you go to the mesh.tv. That's the network we're a part of. And there you'll find a handful of other shows that you can subscribe to there as well. You also have the archives where you can go back and listen to old candle films episodes as well. So the mesh.tv, go check it out, download at will, and uh, it's all free. It's all there for the taking. So a lot of good content you can go and download and listen to and let us know what you think. We'll give you some options at the end of the show of how you can reach out to us. Chris, let's move on to our third and final review, which is the latest Jim Jarmusch film, Patterson. Morning, Donnie. Everything okay? No, not really. My kid needs braces on her teeth. My car needs a transmission job. My wife wants me to take her to Florida, but I'm behind on the mortgage payments. My uncle called from India and he needs money for my niece's wedding and I got this strange rash on my back. How about you? I'm okay. Ready to roll, Patterson? Yeah. When you're a child, you learn there are three dimensions, height, width, and depth, like a shoebox. Then later you hear there's a fourth dimension, time. Alan, you and I just talked about what you described as, and I would agree, a slow burn film. Yes. Kind of methodical plotting. So with Patterson, mm-hmm. I'll give the very brief general plot description. Okay. Thank you, IMDb. <laughs> a quiet observation of the triumphs and defeats of daily life, along with the poetry evident in its smallest details. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, sounds like a slow burn film. Yep. Kind of is a slow burn film. Even but that this, description, I would call a slow, <laughs> slow burn, burn description. description. <laughs> and this is slotted on IMDb as a comedy, oh comma, drama, you, comma, romance. You totally just read my notes. Because I was going to make the comment about how iTunes had this listed by default as a comedy. Ah, yeah. So, and I'm not, okay, you know, go ahead. So, yeah, I mean, interesting to list it as such. So... I found the slow burn film, if we can call it that, or classify, wanted to classify it, I found it effective, and I liked it. I'm curious to know whether you found it worthwhile watching, or whether there were things you liked about it, but the slow burn didn't work for you. You weren't, having just come off discussing a slow burn film, and unlike that other film, unlike Mm -hmm. um, The Salesman, Patterson is slow burn but then never really catches fire. <laughs> there is no fire. There is no fire. It's, 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 but, but I love this movie. And I okay. think, I mean, it's all right. First off, it's not a movie. All right. Let's just go ahead and get that. Wow. Out there. It's, it's not, not a movie. I mean, because I think when you hear movie, you think beginning, middle, end, there's progression, there's development, there's characters, there's plot. Huh? There's, this is not a movie. This is a, this is a, it, it, it's the, it's an emotion for like an hour and a half. It's a. Uh, it's like sitting on your back porch with a cup of coffee and just thinking about life. I mean, that's kind of what this film was for me. Wow. Simple, peaceful, quaint. It is something that when I got done watching the film, I actually found myself kind of for a little while looking around the world a little bit more and observing a lot more things. Changed the way you thought about yeah. things. Okay. Um, yeah, I. I can't really ha- wrap my head around exactly what this film's about, but I don't think it's meant to be about anything. It's hmm. like. You know, Adam Driver stars as, I mean, his name is Patterson, Patterson. Yeah. Absolutely. which is the name of the city that he works in. He, he drives a, a bus. He's in. a bus driver. Mm-hmm. And he is a very content guy. 
He has a schedule. He gets up same time in the morning. He goes uh, the same route, walks to work. He drives the bus. He gets off the bus when he's done. He goes and stops and has a drink. He comes home or he goes, gets his dog, walks his dog, has a drink while he's walking the dog. I mean, it's very scheduled and it's just, that's the life he likes. And there's something really nice about that. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you're watching it. And it's like, you, some people may look at it as very repetitive. I just said, you know, this is nice. This is kind of interesting to watch for an hour and a half or however long the film was. Um, I think, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Okay. And um, it's interesting how you're framing it because I agree, but yet in a way, I guess I don't agree <laughs> about how, like you're saying it, it's just kind of an emotion and it doesn't really, because it's the way it, the film is structured is it takes place over the course of a week. Yes. You have and like you, day one, day two, day three. And in yeah. a way you could say the way the days start and the ways the days end is kind of like groundhog day because there's a yeah. waking up, there's a looking at a watch. So these like, and they're like very close to being the same every single day. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing that makes it different is because he is an artist yeah. And if it were just following a person doing those day routines, there's a certain, for lack of not trying to be cheesy, but there's a certain poetry to that. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure it would be interesting. Right. What makes this interesting is the fact the guy is a poet, he's an artist, and the mundane routine that he goes through, but he's able to see the uniqueness in it. Mm-hmm. And as viewers, you kind of along with him for the journey. And I, I think Jim Jarmusch... I've liked different ones of his films, but I think this may be my favorite one of his. Well, it's definitely my favorite. Okay. I mean, I liked Broken Flowers, the Bill Murray Bill Murray, film. yeah. That was probably my favorite before this film. And we reviewed um, Only Lovers Left Alive, or did we not? I think you did. Okay, I don't I think, did. I never caught up with it. Okay. Um, I I just really like this film. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, and I think it's just because it was a great change of pace. It was just something different. Um I, I gave up after the first 20 minutes trying to do what you typically do do in a movie. I think where you're trying to figure out where things are going and all that. I just kind of gave up. I'm like, you know, what? I'm just going to, just going to, I'm just going to watch. I'm just, I'm just here for listening and watching and observing kind of like he is. Now it does by like day four or five, it tries to weave. I mean, I don't say it tries, it does. It weaves in a little semblance of a plot, a right. little bit it has right. to do with his, his diary of poetry and, and then there's also a character at a bar that kind of a, a situation happens. It's some things that shakes up his routine a little bit. Right, right. And, you know, you are curious to understand how that's going to affect him. But at the end of the day, it's still, it's still rinse and repeat. I mean, it's still, mm-hmm. you know, well, and which is fine. There's that's, a chance that's what he wanted. without ruining anything. Mm-hmm. There is a chance that something does get shaken up. Possibly. Towards, yeah. the, towards the end of the film. Yeah. And it seems like it could really alter some activities that Patterson chooses to do. But he has an interaction with a fellow visitor in a park. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the way that is handled and the way that ends, I thought was awesome. Yeah, no, it was really amazing. I will say for Jarmusch, if anything, usually his films, I don't feel like are very predictable. Mm -hmm. And maybe because it is, they kind of try not to be too in your face. They're very kind of real life and experiential and, they kind of put you in a mood and it's more about setting a mood than it is about plot. Mm -hmm. But with this one, there was a, I kind of felt like I knew where the animosity between the dog and Patterson was going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I, you know, and I was kind of surprised 
that Jarmusch led us on that journey a mm-hmm. little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like my, you know, very small, small, yeah. I don't even know if it's a nitpick, but just kind of personal surprise that Jarmusch led us down that yeah. path. But I really liked this movie. I liked too what it said about relationships between Patterson and his wife. Oh, wife got, or girlfriend? I don't even know. Well, if, I, I'm not sure either. Not but sure. we got to talk about her to some degree well, because and the artistic just, pursuits that <laughs> yeah. they were both on. Well, I mean, she was well, on like how many during the course of the film? I guess you could say a different one almost every day. Well, if iTunes had this list as a comedy, it's solely just based, based on, on her performance. The 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 scenes between Patterson and his wife or girlfriend and the dog. I mean, right? Those scenes they were humorous, but it wasn't were, like it's not knee slapping funny. It's just. True watching two very different type of people, but just have figured out how to just make it work between them. And they just, you know, they love each other. Yeah. yeah. It's just, but they're also very, very different people. And just seeing that uh, to me, uh, uh, we haven't talked about really Adam drivers as, as an actor in this film. I thought he was great. And I thought he was really his good. reactions to his wife. He is such the good, dutiful husband. But, man, you could just tell sometimes he's just like, oh, yeah. what is going on? Well, that's the <laughs> His thing. wife is very creative and very expressive and also seems to be very off on different paths all the time. Like one day it's music and then it's her artwork and then it's, she's well, going to be making food for a, a farmer's market. You know, it's just <laughs> all over. So, But, you know, I will say that, you know, you're right. It's like the perfect doting husband, but you can tell he gets really annoyed, but yet somehow manages to do it. Likewise, she is all artistic and everything, but she is very concerned with his poetry and kind of is like, Hey, you know, and so you can see the love that they have for each other and how they definitely support each other. Very, very, no, it was, you know, it was a wonderful relationship to watch. Oh Yeah. It's yeah. fun relationship to watch at times, but it was a very, it's a great relationship. And then uh, I think, I think she was great too, the actress. And I'm, I'm apologize. Her name is, is, is difficult. Is uh, girl shift for honey for honey. That's um, fair. Never had seen her in anything before. She was really, really good as well. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, it, was, it had funny moments. Yes. I guess that's where they get the comedy label in there, but it was more just a, very red, it's just a very introspective film. I mean, it's more you spent more time in Patterson's head True. listening to him write his poetry than you do him talking with other people. And it was nice. I mean, it was simple. It was he's writing poetry and you hear him writing verses and you see the verses appear on the screen. And I thought even the way they did that. Oh, was it was very really nice. Well it's just done. I'm not going to say it's a it's a great exploration into a creative mind, but it was just done so nice and simply and just it was a it was a pleasant joy to watch this film. I, I like. agree, and I thought a lot of the visuals helped keep it interesting. Even though you saw a lot of the same things repeated, mm-hmm. the way in which they were shot or the way they would change subtly mm-hmm. was really well done. I, <laughs> you mentioned the interaction, the comedy being provided between you know the girlfriend or wife, Adam Driver and the dog, which yeah. is true. There was a lot of that there. Also between. Patterson and his fellow bus driver at check-in oh, every yes. morning. <laughs> that awesome. was great too. And it's interesting, you know, the, his fellow driver just 
unloads Mm -hmm. on Patterson every morning. Patterson just doing the thing that we all do. Oh, hey, how's it going? And man, does that guy tell you how it's going. Tells him everything going (laughs) wrong in his life. Right. uh, In one constant spiel. Right. But it just doesn't seem to phase Patterson. He's just like, you know. Because, and that's what's great is you can see it because he is a poet. He is a writer and he just kind of sits there and soaks all that in. And I think he genuinely is interested in this guy. I mean, but I, you know, he's just kind of like, Okay. You, you know what this film I think is trying to, 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 to show is that it's possible to go through life and not feel like you have to absorb the things that is go, are going on around you. You know, so many times in society. But just be aware of just, them. You be aware of them. Be aware of them. And you're watching and you're learning and you're observing, but you're not absorbing. Right. Because, you know, we have, we're in a society where, you know, somebody's really negative all the time. And sometimes that can infect the people around you or they start to feel really negative or start to get upset because this person's being negative. Patterson, this movie is like, reminds us that it's okay just to be observers of those things around us. And to kind of maybe chuckle to ourselves a little bit when somebody's being ridiculous and doing nothing, complaining, you know, it's just, I like the fact that Patterson, the character Patterson just, he didn't let those other influences and things affect him. Right. Even when there was a, probably the one action moment of the entire movie in a bar hmm. and you know, something happens that breaks the routine and you can tell Patterson's not really happy to be involved no, in it in any not. way, shape or form, no. but he did get involved. And even the gentleman he got involved with tries to approach him later and is trying to like mend fences. And I, I don't think Patterson's really given it much other thought after that. He's like, okay, fine, whatever. You know, I just want to keep moving on. <laughs> and it's just, I love that approach to life. And I mean, I know it's a movie and it's a fictional character, but it's kind of nice to think that, yeah, this is how actually we could enjoy our life is just be really nice observers of things instead of feeling like we've got to get sucked into everything with it. So <laughs> on that same line, yeah. also instances of something I found funny. So I'm not there again, I'm not saying it's a comedy, but there are a lot yeah. of funny moments. Him overhearing conversations on the bus and not interfering with him, but just listening. Just listening. And, you know, you can tell sometimes he's generally interested (laughs) and then other times he's just amused, flat out amused by what's being said behind me. You know, but he doesn't like, you know, openly laugh. He actually probably tries to hold it in a little bit, you know. Well, what's interesting, too, is, I mean, obviously he just let those things roll with and kind of float through his brain and then leave. He gets home. He doesn't recap all these conversations with his wife. That's he's true. Not, he's just, how was your day? It was fine. Yep, it was, a, it was, it was a day, you know? And it's like, he'd rather talk about what she did. Right. Tell me what you did during the day. I want to hear what you did. And I just think that's, that's an interesting way to, to live your life. Um, hmm. My favorite visual comedic beat piece is the mailbox. I mean, just... <laughs> yeah, the mailbox. Just the mailbox. Um, yeah. You, it's a recurring theme, him coming Absolutely. home and the mailbox is always tilted over and he has to set it back up. And then you find out later why, why? it's always tilted over. So, yeah. um, no, it's just see, another it a, little touch there again. Yeah. I, I, I'll agree with you. I think this is my favorite Jim Jarmusch yeah. movie. I had to look over his <laughs> filmography, but I think this would definitely be it. The touch that he has of the girl's an artist and yeah, she's kind of out there. But she does everything based on black and white, Mm -hmm. which is a recurring motif of stuff she does. And you're like, okay, black and white. Like it's, I know it's just interesting how that's kind of woven into, yeah, woven into everything. I I really like this film a lot. Oh, good. Now I will say, but there again, that's what's crazy. Would you agree that it's kind of a slow burn? Oh, but never catches fire. It's a slow movie. I mean, but it's not. It's not. It's not intending to lead you anywhere. It's not intending to. 
to put a cap on anything or tighten everything up at the end. I will say this. I thought it was a wonderful film experience to watch. Now, do I want all my films in the future to be like this? No. no. Sure. This is an experience that is fine. You know, I saw somebody a quote online on Letterboxd. I, I don't remember who it was, but I thought it was interesting. They said, this is a great movie, but it, it, it doesn't have to rely on explosions or CGI or anything to be entertaining. However, <laughs> it does remind us that there are reasons why we do like movies with explosions and CGI and action. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's okay to that have being this. Said, that right. being said, it's good to have this as a singular film experience. But no, I do not want all my films to now just be this languid and just expressive and just following people through their normal lives. So you're so, saying you're glad this film exists, just like I'm, with the salesman. I'm very glad it exists, but held. I'm happy okay. with it being a singular film experience. I can visit when I want to and not seeing it infect the rest of the, the film, the film, uh, the film community, you know, so. when I'd like to go on record because I seems like I am a broken record when it comes to film length and things always need to be trimmed down if they're over, you know, 80 mm. minutes or 90 minutes. This film was two hours. Didn't feel was like it really. Yes, exactly. Wow, I didn't was, feel like I honestly that. Honestly, thought it was less than ninety minutes. Exactly. Didn't feel like that at all. Wow. So the difference between this film and a salesman was like six minutes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And Man, to me, it was oh, that were, did not feel. Yeah, like so that even at though all. both were kind of slow burn and stuff, there were just things, you know, that kind of. I don't know. They kept me hooked. Cinematography, the acting, some of the humor. Mm-hmm. I mean, there again. They're two totally different films. Sure. But I'm trying to say, don't always pigeonhole me as the guy who hates movies that are over 90 minutes. It's, what you're really <laughs> saying is you, it's more of what a movie feels like it is lengthwise. Right. If a movie feels like it's two hours long, then, it's, then that's up. a problem. But sure. I honestly thought this was an 80-minute movie. I thought it was like, wow, it's shorter than 90 minutes. But right. um, it's not. So that is Patterson. That is available online. Uh, you can get it through iTunes and Several other places. I don't recall offhand all the all the venues, but if you know how to buy or rent a movie online, you can find Patterson for sure, along with The Salesman. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy, the first film, is right now in movie theaters. So, and if you can um, find that online right now, shame on you. Yeah, don't don't tell us. We don't want to know about <laughs> That's it. Right. So. Shame on you. All right, let's. Uh, that, we're done with our reviews. Three positive reviews for me. Could just go on go on note. I liked all three of the films I reviewed. Okay. Um, Although Guardians was a little little bit disappointing, I still really liked it. And then I really found a lot to admire with The Salesman. And then Patterson was just, I just think, a really enjoyable film experience. So, all right, let's move on to our movie news. And Chris, I've just got two movie news items. Okay. I don't want to spend too much time on movie news because I know we spend a lot on the reviews. But I mean, two... I can talk about 30 minutes about Alien Covenant if you want me to. Even <laughs> no, I, I think, we, seen I think we need a special episode. We're all I think when Alien Covenant comes out, Chris... I think we need to plan on recording a dedicated podcast episode <laughs> just to let Chris talk about this movie. Non-stop. Non-stop. Get it out of my system. Okay. Um, no, I'm very excited about Alien Covenant as well. I'm very excited. I'm not the biggest Alien fan like like you are, uh, but I certainly respect the series. I revisited the original uh, just a couple weeks ago. Oh, really? I had not seen it since I was, gosh, probably high school. How to um, hold up? Good. Yeah, no, it <laughs> okay. did. It did. It, it was good. You okay. know, it, it's tough watching a movie like that now after there's been so many films and variations and yeah. building up. You go back and if you watch it now, you're like, oh, this is a pretty simple film, you know, and it, it's and a it pretty, pretty standard sci-fi horror movie. But you got to remember when it was first released, it was 
very unique Absolutely. and all that. So I try to remind myself to watch it in those those viewpoints. And, uh, you know, it has nice surprises. I think it's some really great moments in it. So I, I enjoyed it um, watching it again. Um, but I need to go back and watch Prometheus at some point soon before this new one comes out. Just I need to give that movie another chance. Oh, fair enough. I mean, I did not care for it as much when it first came out, but I also don't think I was – it's not the film I was wanting at that time. I think a lot of people, yeah. that's the problem. So maybe it. if I know what kind of film it is and I go back and watch it, I'll find a better appreciation for it. It may make you appreciate Alien Covenant. Yeah, maybe. very much good. All right, so let's talk about um, somewhat similar. Um, talking about a 1970s film that was a – horror-ish film and hmm. now is being revisited here in 2016, 17, 18. Um, Chris, have you ever seen Suspiria? No, it's I haven't. It's Dar- Dario Argenta. It's a very uh, surreal horror film that was released in 1977. And I have heard they're remaking it. They are. Okay. Uh, it's a, it's considered a, a hard classic. I've only seen clips from it. I've never what, seen what's the, whole film. the like, yeah, what's the, it's, it's not like a Jason or a Freddy. Oh no, no. It's a, uh, uh, the, 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 the tagline is, it's a young American ballerina. What comes? Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh. Hold on. Okay. A young ballerina from America comes to train at a prestigious German dance Academy. But as she's in this academy, she learns that the school has very dark and menacing secrets. So it's like Black Swan horror movie. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, the clips I've seen, it's very surreal. It's just she's in this this school and it's visually there's just horrific things happening. And there's some very uh, uh, creepy characters and just it's very visually interesting to see. Um relatively low budget i mean if you watch it i mean the effects wise and all uh, production value wise but obviously considered a classic i've Um, I've heard of it but yeah yeah, okay so we do have a remake going on which you know and who's doing it luca guadagnino okay who is the director of the films he was in the film he did the film i am love and the film a bigger splash Right. Okay. Yeah, I don't recognize the director's name, but I remember those films, and I remember I remember hearing the, that they were doing a remake. But yeah, yeah that's so that's interesting that he's choosing to go horror now. Yeah, it mm. is interesting. And who's and, doing the? Didn't isn't somebody big doing the music for it too? Mm-hmm. Spirit, yeah. Well, that's basically where I'm leading okay. to because I was going to get your thoughts on it. Okay. Um, well, let me build to that. So uh, Chloe Grace Moretz is starring in it. Okay. Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton, I think, has been in both of his See, other films as well. this sounds like something Nicholas Winding Refn would do. Yeah, that's actually... I Neon would not have been Demon. shocked if I had heard that was the guy Neon directing Demon this film. That's right. Thing. Yeah. Um, but no, they just announced this week that uh, Mr. Tom York is scoring yes. the film. Yes, 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 yes. Radiohead. Of Radiohead. Absolutely. So, you know, with Radiohead, of course, we had Johnny Greenwood mm-hmm. doing all the score for a lot of the P.T. Anderson films. There right. Will Be Blood, The Master, Inherent Vice. So now Tom York is getting into the film scoring business as well. I will admit right away that piqued my interest more. I'm like, okay, you know, I, I respect Radiohead as a band. I think they're really, really good and they're very creative. I think for Tom York to say, this is the film that I decide I want to go out and help score to me means there's something there. Oh yeah. Um, I, you know, it still could be a disaster, but I think at least there's enough people saying there's something good here. Tilda Swinton is someone I feel like attaches herself pretty good projects well and i'm interested you know you and i've talked about it before we're not interested it's just not our bag 
to go out and just watch horror movies. That's yeah. not something I'm interested in. Although, if I know that there's something more there, yeah. like for instance, The Witch, mm-hmm. or Get uh, Get Out Get that out. I saw, mm-hmm. or yeah. um, what was the one that It Follows? Right, like like you know, there's something. There's got to be something visually or storytelling wise inventive or interesting about it. And yeah. so Suspiria, the fact that it is this cult classic, which that right there makes me kind of interested in it. But then the fact, what makes me even more interested in it is the fact that you told this director, can't remember his name, already forgotten it. Cause it's kind of complicated to say, but he doesn't typically make horror movies. Mm-hmm. And so the movies that he's done have been well received and are very artistically shot too. He's got a really interesting like vision for stuff. Yeah. So that right there says, yeah, I want to see Suspiria because it's just, it's not going to be about blood splattering everywhere. It's not going to be about, I think, I feel that it's going to be more about mood and I don't know. It's just going to be, mm-hmm. no, I, I, it's just going to be more in that vein. Now I know so. there's, there's some horror purists who I think are upset that they're remaking Suspiria, but all right, guys, listen, every film's going to get remade. Any film that's any good will get remade at some point in the future. So right. just deal with that. But my thing is, is I've watched the clips from this and yes, it's a very dated movie. So they I don't mean, have clips of the new thing yet. You're no, just seeing old stuff. No, they're okay. just, I think still working on the new one. Okay. Um, but you can go back and watch clips of the old one and see, trailer and parts of the film and all that. And, you know, it is very dated. Um, I'm sure, yeah, for 1977, it was a, it was a classic. Was it, I understand. 1977 film, was it American made though, or was it a foreign film? Because uh, with Dario Argento, you know, I'm not sure if he's an American. I don't know. Director, Honestly, the clips like, I've seen didn't really have any dialogue in it. So it was hard for me to tell what was going on, okay. like where they're, where they were filming it. Um, mm-hmm. And I wish I knew more about the film. Unfortunately, it's one I'm not very familiar with. I'm going to catch up um, on it. Well, and I, I know too. But I was going to say that from a remake standpoint, you know, I can see how this one could be remade and still respect the original, but give a different visual style and update to it. Um, because yeah, it is a very dated film when you watch the clips of it. Well, let me give you, I said I didn't have a news item, mm-hmm. but I just remembered this okay, and I could be completely off base because my mind has been filled with lots of stuff in between when I saw this on the internet, sure. which never lies. No, and, no, no. And you now, saw it on the internet. Then it's got to be the gospel. Yeah. But if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. coming out in 2018, um, Halloween is being remade by David Gordon Green. Really? I think so. There again, it's been a while. Actually, let me that? let me talk a little bit about it while you... But yeah, so the reason this even came about was I finally caught up with um, his most recent movie, Manglehorn. Yeah. I finally caught up with that, Al Pacino. Eh, you can read my review on Letterboxd. I wasn't over the, I did. Over the moon mm-hmm. about it. <laughs> but in doing I was like, what is David Gordon Green? Like, what's, what's he up to next? What is he going to do next? And I swear, I think I saw something where he and um, another guy were in production on Halloween. Mm-hmm. So you, mm-hmm. I've now stalled a little bit, Alan. Do you have anything on I this? I do. Okay. So, uh, yes, David Gordon Green, writer, director, and actor-producer Danny McBride. Yeah, Danny McBride. That's the other thing, which they are School of the Arts buddies. They went to North Carolina School of the Arts, supposedly. Or they have – I know uh, David Gordon Green did. I think Danny McBride has ties there. I don't know if he went there or not. But anyways – they did Eastbound and Down together, yeah. <laughs> but remaking Halloween, like, that's Well, they're just... saying, uh, Danny McBride's quote is saying, Green and I are definitely going to do a straight-up horror. Okay. It's not a remake. Okay. It's going to continue the story of Michael Myers in a really grounded way. And for our mythology, we're focusing mainly on the first two movies and what 
what that set up and then where the story can go from there. Hmm. Uh, I think this is interesting. See, I, I, John Carpenter, you know, who did the original, um, People, people. I've heard people both talk about how much they love his original music because he does his own music for his <laughs> movies. I personally can't stand it. I think it's ridiculous. But you know what music he also did, What's which that? I just recently saw the movie and thought it was garbage. Oh, uh, big trouble! Big in trouble China. in Little oh, yeah. China. Yeah. He well, did, I saw your review of that. The music, the end title music that he did for that is amazingly bad. I man, you and I will need to talk about Big Trouble in Little <laughs> China because I, I have some issues with your review. When was the last time you saw it? Well, as well as a teenager. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, okay. the comment I think is interesting is it says that Carpenter will executive produce the film. Is which he is doing the music? <laughs> and it says, and might even do the music. Yes. <laughs> so uh, the, fu- the film's supposed to come out October 19th, 2018. Okay. So there we go. Very interesting. Wow. You just threw a, Didn't think threw I had a, a curveball. Item, I had no idea. Yeah. And there again, you know, I've seen the original Halloween. I have too. It was been a long time ago. I think I saw it all the way through. Yep. Um, yes, I did. But that's it. The original is well, the only one I have though. seen. No, I, I don't care to see any of the other ones. I don't go see horror movies. Don't go see remakes. However, David Gordon Green. Oh, sure. Well, you've got to go see Doing that. this. And, you know, Danny McBride. Yeah. He's comedy. You know, totally well, but he's st- an alien covenant too. That's right. So he's um, branching out a little bit. So is Mr. Franco. So yeah. <laughs> I got to talk about Alien Covenant more. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, I'm just, I just think that's an interesting combo to try to, to try to do. I, honestly, so. I had, I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in the news you just sprang up on me than the news <laughs> I brought up originally about Suspiria. So very, very interested. Well, I mean, I'm really interested in Suspiria. That's going to be homework. No, yeah. uh-huh. I'll try to track that down. All right. We're going to see if we can both watch and, and make it through Suspiria. Um, <laughs> Not for the faint of heart, from what I could tell from the clips I watched. Really? Oh, yeah. So just, you know. Okay. Interesting. We'll see. That'll be, we'll, we'll have to see next time we record if we've got around to finding a copy of Suspiria to watch. Okay. Last thing. This was really quick. I just think it's hilarious. Um, okay. You remember the movie Edge of Tomorrow, starring Mr. Tom Cruise? You mean and Live, Emily Die, Blunt. and Repeat? Live, Die, Repeat. Oh, thank you. You <laughs> set up my story for me. Okay. So here's the funny thing about names of movies. So when this property, when this movie was first being pitched, it's based off of a manga story called All You Need Is Kill. That's the translated name of it. I could see how they couldn't use that as a movie title. I thought it was a cool name, but I understand. They're like, well, people aren't going to understand it. I mean, it's rated R anyway, probably, maybe. So they changed the title of the film to Edge of Tomorrow. Came out with Tom Cruise and Which is a terrible name. It's a horrible name. Sounds like a James Bond movie. I think I said that before. But the thing is, it was a surprisingly good movie. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I liked it actually quite a bit. It was original. I thought it was kind of a unique uh, take on a Tom Cruise character. He played kind of a little bit against type, being actually kind of a, a wimp, kind of being a, True. a scaredy he cat. He still got to run, though. Oh, he ran a lot. Um, <laughs> Emily Blunt was good. I yeah, think that was I like the whole premise of it. Yeah. it. It didn't set the box office on fire. Okay. Yeah. Um, so when they went to the DVD release, they didn't officially change the name of the movie. But on the DVD box, they basically slapped up there the big three words, live, die, repeat. You barely even saw the words Edge of Tomorrow anywhere on the packaging or anything else. Interesting. So they were trying a little tactic to see. I wonder if maybe just having a maybe cooler name might help sell the movie more. So and how did it pan out? I don't know. <laughs> but here's where we are now. Doug Lyman, who was the director of the first version of this movie, is making a sequel. And he's quoted as saying, 
I quote, I will not sign on to do it unless you guarantee you will not change the title. <laughs> Just wait till you hear the title. Oh. He says it's going to be called. Is it like a hundred words long? And he's like, <laughs> change it. And I walk off. Um, he says, quote, we have an amazing story. It's incredible. Way better than the first one. And I obviously love the first film. It will be called, quote, live, die, repeat, and repeat. <laughs> No way. That's what he says. Live, die, repeat, repeat, and repeat, and repeat. Because the first repeat doesn't quite tell you what to do enough, so you got to remind them to repeat again. So, <laughs> I would think it'd be called like repeat infinitum or something like repeat infinity. Live, die, repeat, and repeat is supposedly the name of this next sequel to this movie. Really, really. Wow. Um, he says Tom Cruise is coming back. Emily Blunt's coming back. Of course back. Tom Cruise. Are you going to give him a paycheck? He's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's just going to be, he said, it's not a matter of if, it's when we do it. Live, die, repeat, and repeat. Wow. Huh. So anyway, I just thought that was funny. I don't, again, prove me wrong. And I like to be proven wrong because I like watching movies. I like good movies. I don't think the sequel could possibly be good but prove me wrong well according to mr doug lyman he says (laughs) we have an amazing story way better than the first one which i like doug lyman he did the limey and he's done some other ones that uh doug lyman did uh didn't he do swingers like when he the director of singers may have he may have i think he was i I think i like him as a director and you know i like i know he did uh, mr and mrs smith Okay, never saw that one. Which, it was okay. Was it? it was actually a, a fun, I mean, for it being a Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, shoot up movie, it was it was a fun movie. Hmm. Um, yeah, Doug Lyman, he, he's done quite a bit. He uh, he did Swingers. Okay. He did Go, which is one oh, of my favorites. I Love Go. Go. Yeah, I like He Go. did The Born Identity, which I think was the first Born movie. Or did Greengrass do the first Born movie? No, I think Greengrass came in after the first movie and took over the franchise. Ah. I think I think Lyman did. First. I think Lyman okay. did the first movie. Okay, he did Mr. and Mrs. Smith. He did Jumper, which I never saw that one. But <laughs> I didn't either. Uh, he did Edge of Tomorrow or Live <laughs> Die Repeat. Die repeat. <laughs> um, huh? And now he's pitching the 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 uh, follow up to this one. Okay. He is attached also to doing a DC Comics movie, really? Just Justice League Dark. Now, that's not the – because Zack Snyder's doing the imminent Justice League movie. That's right. Justice League Dark is supposed to be off on a tangent Is that the second? Here. Nope. It oh. is a different group of people. Oh. It is more of the darker DC Universe characters. Um, so supposed to be like Constantine, the John Constantine character, supposed to be like uh, – uh, Dead Man is another character. So they're I mean, trying like, to do Suicide Squad again. They're doing Except but with heroes, good guys, but, but it's like creepy, dark, you know, uh, anti-hero type of people. Hmm. But Doug Lyman is attached to direct that as well. So okay. The whole DC Comics universe. <laughs> don't don't even get me started. Oh my right. gosh, there's so many other news items I could throw out about where the whole DC comic universe movie universe is going. The Flash has lost a second director. Nobody wants to direct The Flash. <laughs> it's gotten pushed back like another couple years. Some reviews are coming in for Wonder Woman that aren't sounding so hot, but I really hope it's good because I think Wonder Woman deserves a good movie. Is Aquaman Every, also coming out this Aquaman summer? is coming out. I'll mention it in my uh, recommendation because it ties in with that a little bit. Um, huh. so yeah, just still not feeling good about where they're <laughs> in. But anyway, that's Fair our enough. news items. Uh, that's the two I had, which sounds like led into a few other side news items that we had to share as well. 
So, Chris, we are approaching the end of the show. We need to give our recommendations. Yes. And, uh, for those of you just joining us for the first time, Chris and I comb through our movie library and watch something recently or catch up with something or just remember a film that we've seen recently that we want to bring up. Something that you can find online. I mean, obviously, if we were able to find it online, you can find it online. Right. Uh, we're not going to throw anything too obscure your way, but something we at least give a passable recommendation to uh, that we think is worth checking out uh, or some of you may be interested in. So, Chris, would you like to uh, 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 share with us your, your pick of the month or of the episode? Yeah. So mine is yet another film that has gone, I think, pretty much straight to Netflix. But this was... A good film, unlike some of the Adam Sandler stuff that's filtered over there. But um, Netflix got this documentary pretty much right out of Sundance this year. So it's listed as being a 2017 movie. Mm -hmm. It's a documentary called Casting John Binet. So with that being the title, you can kind of guess. I'll go ahead and read the description. Mm -hmm. 20 years after the modern world's most notorious child murder, the legacy of the crime and its impact are explored. So director Kitty Green does this by having interviews with people that were in the town that this happened in, but also choosing some of those people to reenact scenes of said crime. So they are talking as people that were in the town, but then they are then cast, hence casting John Bonet, and they are then like wearing, you know, costumes and dressing up Mm -hmm. like these people reenacting scenes. And it is, it is really surreal. And it, kind of a ma- reminded me of um, when we saw like man on wire mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, not, you know, that was a movie that used reenactments in a very clever way. Kind of like how Errol Morris did with Thin blue line, but mm-hmm. reenactments used in this way for a true crime type thing, documentary. Mm-hmm. But then the fact that the actors were actually in the town and they could speak about in some instances, knowing the family. Mm, right. Um, wow. Yeah, just very unsettling, and it's not an easy watch because it, some of it obviously is very disturbing. Mm-hmm. And the end shot has to be one of the most – it is not graphic, it is not gory, but it is unsettling in a David Lynch way. Mm, right. <laughs> um, just very strange, but it, but it is definitely Casting interesting. John Bonet. Casting John Bonet. I, I recommend it. Um, but you know, it it is, and it doesn't show anything graphic or anything. So it's not disturbing in that way. But if you like documentaries and you want something a little different, I would, you know, highly recommend casting John Monet. It has been added to my Netflix queue right now. So click and it's done. (laughs) So no, I, I saw that promoted on Netflix and thought it was, uh, looked really interesting. So glad you had a chance to catch up with it. Um, my recommendation is something a bit out of the norm for me. Okay. And it does go back a little bit to some of the conversations we were having earlier. Hmm. Talking about you and I both not being big horror fans. Just not. It's not a it's not a genre I seek out. Um So this ties into Aquaman too? Mm-hmm. It does. Hmm. I'm um, curious. So I'm <laughs> you, you have know, my attention. Okay. I, I you know, I'm not a fraidy cat on the stuff. I mean, I will watch a horror movie, but you know, if I got a chance to watch it in the middle of the day versus late at night, I'll watch it in the middle of the day. So you're saying again because this is a drinking game you're going to go see alien covenant at like one o'clock in the afternoon you see i don't see i don't i don't, I don't see alien and alien covenant as horror, movies. horror okay yeah. i mean yes it has intense scary moments but i i a movie has to be truly a horror film like meant to 
scare and and really like torment you for me to like kind of avoid it. Sure. You know, if it's a sci-fi horror film, if it's an action adventure with some horror in it, I'm totally fine with that. Okay. So uh, my wife, though, wanted us to watch The Conjuring. This is a 2013 film that um, it's supposedly based on a true story, but I've heard. But I've had a very long argumentative discussion about whether or not it's truly a true story. We just have to go to the Internet, which is always right. And what Mm. did it say? Um, the internet's mixed. <laughs> so we found a, a lot of supporting arguments on both sides of the coin. But um, the idea is it's paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are yes. world-renowned, kind of famous, supposedly very famous, true paranormal investigators. And they're working to help a family that's terrorized by a dark presence in their farmhouse. Um, you have Patrick Wilson and Vera, mm-hmm. Vera Farmiga. Right. We're both really good yep. in the film. Both good actors, and they're both very good in the film. And then as the couple living in the house that's being tormented is Ron Livingston and Lily Taylor, also very good actors. Yes. I like Ron Livingston a lot. Yeah. So it's got some great talent behind it. and They've made sequels, right? They did make one sequel. One sequel. Okay. And then a kind of a spinoff, okay. which I've not seen any of those. Okay. The Annabelle doll is the spinoff because the Annabelle doll is in this movie, but not a major part of it. It's just supposedly mm-hmm. the Warrens took care of the Annabelle case earlier on in their professional career. So the Annabelle doll is there and it's in their collection and it's something they reference as a case, but the doll do they, isn't do they really go, a part of it. They go the in harm. to try to def- debunk stuff. No, they go in to try to help fix oh, situations. Help fix. So they believe it's real and they're just trying to yes, help fix. They're it, trying not to debunk help, it all. help the family okay. uh, get through. Now, supposedly they, they make a good point early in the film to say that a lot of the places they go into, they tell them right away, there's nothing here. You're just imagining things or you're just hearing random noises. Hmm. So they're not trying to like make things. So they're not going in to try to exploit these situations. They're trying to go into the lens of the movie. They're not trying to pull a hoax. If they see a hoax, they'll call it a hoax. hoax. There's nothing here and they move on. That's correct. Okay. So this is supposedly one of their bigger cases where there was a family with like four children, four girls, that moved into a new farmhouse, and the farmhouse just started doing some really creepy things. Hmm. Um, I will say I thought this was a pretty good horror film. Um, it didn't rely on a lot of special effects and CGI or any of that stuff. I mean, the scares were more atmospheric and true, more physical you know, uh, things happening. Jump scares? There are some jump scares, but it's not exploitive. I didn't feel like they oh, were doing okay. it just to throw them in there. It was more the sense of dread and just what's happening and you hear noises in the background and you don't know what's going on. So it was very, it was a, I think it was a well-crafted horror film. If you want to see a good horror film, did you watch this in the daytime? Oh yes, I did. (laughs) I did watch it in the daytime. Okay. Um, fair enough. And, uh, I mean, it's good actors, good acting. The director's James Wan, which I don't know anything about this guy, but supposedly he had done some other horror films before, like Insidious, which mm-hmm. I never saw. I've heard of it. Yep, I think he did that one. He did The Conjuring. He, I think he did the sequel for The Conjuring. But he also has jumped into non-horror films recently. He did one of the later uh, Fast and the Furious movies, number seven, I believe. And the, the connection is he's the director of Aquaman coming out for DC Comics. Okay. So I'm kind of curious to see. I mean... I have not seen any of his other films, but this was a fairly well-directed film and I think worked to do what it was meant to do. Um, Hmm. So I was going to say, if you are somebody who 
you know, is, is like me and not a big fan of horror films, but you are pushed to watch a horror film or you feel like you need to check one out because they have come out with a lot of horror films in the last 10 years. It's a popular. And they've been pretty popular. Yeah, now. yeah. Um, if you feel like you need to dip your toe in the water, I think The Conjuring is a pretty good one. And uh, it, it works. It's a good horror movie. It's not overly disturbing. It's not something that's going to like, you know, just freak you out watching it. I mean, it's just, it's got some nice, good, I'm, creepy scares. I'm to curious. It. Um, mm-hmm. what's it rated? Is it an R or is it PG 13? It is R. It is, it is R. R. Yeah. Okay. There are a couple of moments that are a little more intense and, okay. and uh, one or two kind of, kind of gruesome moments, but, okay. um, Overall, I mean, if you got to watch a horror movie that's made in the last 10 years, this one's pretty good. Well, often what I try to do, which I think in the past I've recommended one on the show, is usually around Halloween. That's how I kind of branch out. I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch a horror movie. I don't normally yeah. do it. Like I recommended Oculus in the past or Carrie. Like, mm-hmm. So it sounds like I'm either going to watch Suspiria or I'm going to watch The Conjuring come Halloween. So I th- I'm, I'm going stre- to go on a limb and say The Conjuring is probably going to be less disturbing and, and less... Uh, uh, tormenting to watch. Okay. If you want a good traditional horror film, yes, The Conjuring is a very traditional horror film. Creepy house, strange things are happening. Uh, we call in some people to help us with it. Strange things keep happening around the house. You know, people <laughs> see things. Suspiria seems to be really a mind trip horror film. So okay. um, you got a couple different angles to, to approach with that one. Awesome. So, that is our show then. So three reviews couple of news items and then our two recommendations here at the end of the show. Uh, just as a reminder, we are on the mesh.tv. You can go back and listen to old episodes on that website. Just go to the mesh.tv search for foot candle films and you'll find a lot of our episodes. Um, and you can check out other shows on the network while you're there as well. Remember these are podcasts that what that means is yes, they may sound just like regular audio files and programs and or radio programs. The difference is though, you can subscribe to these shows. So think about it like a DVR for internet radio, find a show you like subscribe to it through iTunes or Stitcher or any of these other podcast applications you can use. Then every time we push out a new episode, it is automatically delivered to you ready to listen to on your phone, your tablet, your computer, whatever you may choose, even your Apple TV. I've started listening to a lot of podcasts in the background on my Apple TV while I'm in my uh, den, which is kind of nice. So hearing that you're saying, yes, Alan, I know this. Well, if you know this, reach out to other people that you know and get them to listen to our show because podcasts, believe it or not, you may think, yeah, it's been around forever. You know, most people know about it. Believe it or not, a lot of people don't. And we would appreciate help your support and trying to help grow our listenership you can do that by a telling other people what Alan just told, you know, was mentioning also go on to iTunes where you can see, um, our bank of shows and give us a rating, write us a review that helps us reach more listeners, Very which we point. always appreciate. And, uh, I will mention also that with regards to the podcasting world and, and side of things too, is just keep in mind that, you know, yes, it is something helpful to go let people know about it and share, uh, what podcasts are and how you can listen to them and all. There are a wealth of great podcasts all over the internet. And it's just a, it is a medium that we do think people ought to kind of tap into a little bit more. And it's free. It's a free service. That's the thing about it. So we're putting stuff out for free yeah. and uh, just, uh, we'd love to hear some feedback. I want to send out a special thanks. I need, we need to do this more quite honestly. Um, this show, I don't, it would not be possible and we wouldn't have quite the support behind us if it wasn't for the Foot Candle Film Society, our membership 
and all. Really, that's that's the reason we kind of branched off to do this podcast is because we got into a film society that we created. We've got over 600 members, and they're great people that uh, come out and enjoy films with us and love talking about the films afterwards. And uh, so thank you to our film society for kind of helping support us over the last nine years of doing the film society now. Wow. 2008, was that when we started? yeah. Um, so it's been great. And uh, I hope many of them are listening here as always. If you're listening and you're a film society member, uh, let us know and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Anybody who wants to give us feedback, Chris, how can they reach out to us? You can do so easily by just typing us an email at info at the mesh.tv mention foot candle in the subject line, and then type away recommendations of movies you think we should check out or, uh, things you want us to think about how we were wrong about how, amazing any of the movies that we've said were not so amazing or if you know we had misgivings tell us why we're just idiots and we should feel differently about it yes um so yeah info at the mesh.tv where you can reach out and uh write us an email awesome all right so next episode uh chris is going to talk about alien covenant for two and a half hours (laughs) that's kind of our plan even though he hasn't seen the movie yet He's still going to talk about it for two and a half hours. Then when the movie actually comes out, we'll have a deluxe special edition episode. We'll talk three hours. <laughs> three hours about the film. Awesome. And then, of course, the post-podcast episode, wrap-up episode. Where I tell everybody who doesn't <laughs> like it how wrong they are, and it's the most amazing movie to ever be released. I don't know what we're going to be reviewing on the next episode, but hopefully we'll be back on some semblance of a schedule in the next couple weeks to do so. Everybody, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. And if you have any feedback for us, let us know. But until then, uh, take care and thanks a lot. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Toller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Toller, visit www.carpaltoller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.